For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And welcome, welcome, welcome. You are tuned into Game Face. I am your host, Richard the Razor Ewing, with my other host, Mike Deshue Schumann. We do this every week, and if you are trying to build a better crib for your baby, you are on the wrong podcast. And if you are trying to figure out how to dye your roots of your gray hair, you are on the wrong podcast. However, you are trying to get insight into Bay Area sports and to and you need insight into sports on a national level, you just put your game face on. Welcome, as I said before, I am Richard Razor Ewing. I'm on with Mike the Shoe Schumann. Mike, who we got? Well, we've got a, uh, a legend joining us today. And Well, I kind of measure people's greatness after they finish by, for instance, if I was going to talk about the Oakland Raiders of the 60s and 70s and the AFL, you couldn't talk about those teams without mentioning Freddie Bolitnikoff. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, you say Raiders in the 60s, you're thinking Al Davis, the Snake, and Freddie B. You know, and then Tatum and Atkinson came later. But, and joining us today is a dear friend, a longtime uh, great with the Oakland Raiders, uh, <laughs> 65 to 78. And then I followed him. I came to the Bay Area in 78. And unfortunately for me, I've been compared to him my whole career. I oh followed him to Florida State. And I've always told Freddie he ruined my career because how can I live up to that? All right, number one, because no, Bobby Bowden was his receiver coach at Florida State, and he was my head coach my last year. So uh, it's an honor just to be compared to him, you know, but of course I never lived up to those expectations. But Freddie, thanks for joining us, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, both you, Richard, you and Mike. Okay, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a pleasure for me to be here tonight, believe me. All right, one of our We've favorite already had some fun before this, okay? So let's roll, yeah. let's roll it. <laughs> hey, now I'm looking at your background, you know, four-time All-Pro, he was a Hall of Famer. You know, he won the MVP in Super Bowl Eleven. He played in two Super Bowls. He played in the second one against the Packers. And I kind of forgot, back in your day, in 65, when you came out, you got drafted by the NFL and the AFL. Right. So you went to the Raiders in the second round, Detroit Lions in the third round. And, you know, Detroit was a happening city back then. So you can't say, you know, Detroit was an armpit. Why did you choose the Raiders over Detroit? Because you're from Erie, Pennsylvania. You know. Look at the snowfall. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you know what? It was, it was the fact of this. It, it was uh, Detroit at that time. Warren Wells was there as a rookie. 
when I went up there to visit out of, out of Florida State. Uh, they had Terry and Detroit. Barr, they had Terry Barr, Gail Cogdell, and the one thing that attracted me to the Raiders is because of the fact that they threw the ball 50 sometimes a game. That's true. And, you know, and that that's basically the one. And then with Al Davis's influence, uh, you know, I, I decided to head, head out to California because coming out of Erie, Pennsylvania at the time, I, you know, made the transition from, you know, coming from one part of the country, the northeastern part of the country, okay, going down south, being in Tallahassee for all those years. And then I said, well, what the hell? I'll go to California. Why not? I might as well make the turn. You know, might as well go all the way out. And I got the opportunity to be in three different parts of the country and going out to going out to California and being with Al and with the Raiders because the AFL was just starting. They're throwing a ball. Uh, you know, you, you basically you're throwing a ball all the time. You know, your running backs caught caught a lot of passes at that period of time. So I decided to go go out to California. Three pretty good quarterbacks too: Tom Flores, Adele oh, yeah. Monica, and Ken Stabler. Yeah, uh, Flores up for the Hall of Fame this year. He's a finalist. Hopefully, he'll get in. Well, finally, finally they ran. Listen, finally they got smart enough on this on this committee back there that they looked at a coach that did so much for the Raiders uh, as a head coach. And then even you go back to Super Bowl eleven when we played, Tom had a lot of Tom had a lot more influence on a team than people realized because he was the offensive coordinator. Even though he didn't, we never Al never had anybody a title uh, when we went to the Super Bowl. And Tom was with us through all that period of time. So Tom's influence as a coach was unbelievable. And I've always said, you know, I, I get tired of seeing all these uh, players and coaches that are on, on TV broadcasting, getting in the Hall of Fame. And here's Tom sitting there. And even guys like Jim Plunkett, even like Cliffs, and well, Cliffs passed now. But, but guys like that, it's like, I don't, I don't know what the hell this committee does as far as voting. I remember years ago, years ago, you know, there was an influence from every city because they had somebody in, in the media that really went after it for the person on your team that you were representing in media. I don't know if they do that anymore, but uh, the way the selection committee is right now, you know, I have no hesitation to say they suck. <laughs> no, I agree. They, they, they suck. <laughs> no, they put uh, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson in. <laughs> Because I can't remember the gentleman's name who comes and tells you that you got in. But they did it on the set on national TV. So this gives the Hall of Fame all kind of, you know, whereas Tom Flores, as Freddie just mentioned, you know, he's not on TV. He's not doing anything like that. So exactly. I, I agree with you. I think that was chicken. Well, you know, well, see, what? see, here's my spin on the Hall of Fame. And I, I truly, really mean it from my heart. The Hall of Fame to me is this. People that played the game that actually were out on the field playing the game. Now, over the years, it's got so diluted. We, they started with administration. Then they went to scouts. Then they went to head coaches. Next, they'll go to the referees. Next, they'll go to whoever. And, I th and that's all fine with me, but have a separate part of the Hall of Fame for that type of group. If you want to be in the Hall of Fame right now, Get yourself $10 million, build a building over there, put your name on it, you'll be in the Hall of Fame in two years. Wow. Okay. Now, let well, me good to know. So yeah. I, think, I think that the Hall of Fame has got so diluted, it's taken a luster out. Now, if you would go back 
which I haven't done that type of research, okay? And go back, say, 10 years ago and counted everybody that was a non-player getting in a Hall of Fame. How many guys that are still waiting to get in a Hall of Fame could actually have been into the Hall of Fame as a player? Like Cliff would be a joke. I think it would be a joke. And I think it's totally ridiculous. I mean, I'm totally against the way they have it now, and I'm all for all these other people. I call them the other people getting in. Have your own induction. Have your own yeah. the Hall of Fame. That's fine with me. But don't interfere with players. And that's what that's they great. do. That's a great point. Now, you let know. me ask you something, um, Fred, because this is the thing. You know, you know there's a lot of – I hate to say this, but, you know, and I don't want to sound, you know, you know, distinctive or anything about this, but there's a lot of menials that don't understand that, hey, you're part of a very unique core of individuals who played the game and played for the Raiders. And you're part of what's considered to be that Raider mystique. It's like when I think of the Raider mystique, I think of yourself, of course, and I think of, you know, guys like, you know, Ken Slaver, you know, Dave mm-hmm. Casper the Ghost and, you sure. know, uh, shoot, Otis Sinstruck, those guys. I mean, those, those guys, I tell you something, Otis Sinstruck, in my opinion, I saw that guy, and I was like, man, are you serious? It's like, are you really going to put someone on the field to play against that guy? But but let me ask you, did you guys think that this would be as big as it became, okay, the way it has at that time? Or were you guys just fell out just like, look, you know what, we're going to go out here, we're going to play Raider football, and we're going to leave it out there on the field? You you you're talking about the Raiders? Yeah, or about, about the Raiders the, as a whole. About the Raiders as a whole? Yeah, because- no, you know what, you know what? We were we were we were a group of guys that there were I'll tell you what, there probably weren't too many people. There were probably a small percentage on all the 14 years I played on on with the Raiders, okay? That actually before they came to the Raiders, actually could do anything they want to do. If they didn't get a professional football, they would be fine. Then here's a group of guys that were dying to get professional football because that's just who they were. Okay, they were players. Uh, a lot of, basically, a lot of a big percentage came from tough backgrounds, mm-hmm. small colleges, a uh, lot of growing up deals that they went through all their life. Okay, and had a chance to play professional football. And our team, for basically the 14 years, well, 14 years I was there. <laughs> We're filled with all those guys. And it didn't matter who Al brought in, who Al drafted, who Al picked up off a free agency or the waiver wire or whatever came in. He brought guys in to fit in with the group he had. And we were were nothing but this. We all wanted to win. And we were determined to go out there and just win. And that's what we wanted to do. And we all had that chip on our shoulder we all had that hatred that we hated everybody, okay? But we got along together, all right? And our team was so diversified, with, with, no matter who it was, that we all got along. It was like the Dirty Dozen. Right. That's, you know? You know, to your point yeah. about the Dirty Dozen, <clears throat> that is what I kind of saw you guys back then. I thought, you know what? These guys are just a group of guys where, you know what? They have a, we don't care, we're coming out to give you our best, and guess what? Win or lose, you're going to know you played the Raiders by the time the game was over. <laughs> that was it. I mean, and I tell you something, I was telling Mike, I had one of those stickers, and I'll tell you something, it's hard for me, Fred, because 
I, I live in the Bay Area. I'm mm -hmm. a diehard Niner fan, but I could not ignore what the Raiders were doing. It was just like, it was like <laughs> as much as I wanted to be a Niner fan, it was like, man, the Raiders, well, you, what they you, were you, doing you, was just, it was, it was, it was, in my opinion, it was separate from what the NFL was doing. You know what I mean? It was, it was, like, it was like when you guys went on the field, it was like, okay, guess what? I don't care what team you liked, you had to pay attention to the Raiders. They made you pay attention to them. That was the one thing I always respected about that nation. We were like the neighborhood gang. Right. <laughs> right. It's like that's it's, what we were. We're we're like, like the neighborhood gang. If you turn the corner and you made that turn, well, there's a neighborhood gang. Okay. And that's, that's it. That's, that's it. Because you, you, you know that what they're capable of and what they can do. So and you, you know what? The one thing I loved about the years playing with the Raiders and all the guys I played with, it, you know, you can go in, you hated to lose and all that stuff and all that BS, whatever, but. When you went on a field, you hated the people you were playing against. All right? You didn't want to say hello to them before the game or shake hands with them after the game. Uh, if you won, great. We're going on to next week. If you lost, you looked at them and said, I'll be waiting for your ass in Oakland. Okay? Uh, I'll have my ass back here in Denver. Don't worry. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay? Yeah, that's how you left the field. Now, I don't know what the hell. They have parades and all that crap now when they go field okay whatever they do you know but that's the type of team we were everybody was tough nobody took anything from yeah. anybody out there on the field and that that was the makeup of our team yeah all right i gotta do a little business here the wait is finally over guys football is back you might might not be at the game this year but you can still be on the action on bet online i've already got my best down for the first uh, games of the year i'm taking the raiders and the cardinals all right, from games, brands, and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline, one word, .ag, and sign up today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And getting back to that. So you're into the betting. I have got to point this out. Yeah. This man just said on Game Face, when we cover Bears sports, that he's taking the Cardinals and he's wearing a Niners shirt. Let's keep that real right here. Let's keep that real. Hey, hey, Mike, uh, hey, Mike, Mike has always been in the closet. <laughs> 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 well, this is another thing, Fred. Without um, many camps, OTAs, I think you're going to have a lot of pulled hamstrings, pulled calves early in games. So we're going to see a lot of injuries I think you normally would not have seen because you have preseason games. These guys haven't even really been hit yet. So what's your feeling about, first of all, do you think we should be playing football with the COVID virus? Yeah, why not? Okay. What the hell? Right. Hey, listen, all the things we've been through all the years, all these guys go through, hell, you might catch anything. Yeah, that's true. You, you'd, be, you'd be lucky <laughs> if you had COVID, but COVID. Okay. Well, not the same things we were catching back then, no. but. Still, uh, okay. But no, you, you know what? I look at it as this, okay? Finally, finally, all the years that you keep hearing bigger, faster, this, that, and all that, and then you're right. watching the game. Guys are getting concussions. They have better helmets, better shoulder pads. 
guys are getting hurt. Well, I've never seen more guys get hurt. All the 14 years I played, guys got hurt, but not like, these guys fall like flies, okay? But now they have all the drinks, all the food, all the facility, all this, all that, okay? And they're still getting hurt, okay? Yeah. Then you go back to the years, and you, you caught part of it in your career. It, it was the fact that, you know, we had no off-season programs. You went right there to one camp. camp. You did, and yeah. you strapped it on and let's go. I mean, you didn't, right. walk into, you didn't walk in training camp in July, and you know you're going to be there for two, whole, two full months and say, okay, we're taking one week just to work out, get loosened up. No, you're right into it. You're hitting the first day. You know, so yeah. now these guys have had that, not the hitting, but that problem of, okay, they're coming. You don't have this time. You know that. Well, get your ass in shape. Okay, yeah. whatever you got to do. So now you got to come in shape. When a gun goes off, you got to go. So and there yeah. were six preseason games back then. Six preseason. Oh yeah, games. you had to go through all that, and then you go back. You go back to camp. You have two days anyway. You didn't go back to one. Yeah. You went back to two days. So you're working the whole time. So I want to see how these guys operate there. And there's already guys falling off the off the limb now with with the Achilles, hamstrings, all this stuff. They're getting tired after what three weeks running around in shorts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, we found out today that, you know, Adrian Peterson uh, did get released and he got picked up by Detroit. Yeah. And, you know, we also saw what Shu and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks and what the league has been talking about is that the days of the way the league was run and the way players were used is totally changed. For instance, the fact that the running back position has been devalued, which – I, can, I, I can't get my head around that whole thing. I can't because yeah. I look at what Shanahan did last year with the running back position, and to me, that should have sent a message to the league that, hey, you know what? The idea of what you guys are doing is wrong because you look at what it's doing for their offense, okay? Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is something that's going to continue to move forward, or do you think that maybe the league will maybe reevaluate this whole idea of the devalue of the running back? Oh, no. I'll no, I'll tell you what. I don't understand why people don't – why that why that position went downhill, money-wise. You know, I, I think that should be one of the prime positions because you, I don't care where you're at. You cannot play without a running back. Hmm. You cannot play without a running back. Even if it's just one back and a back, you got to play with a running back. Right. You know? And that person still has to do everything that an offensive lineman has to do. He has to pass protect. He has to do this. He has to go out. He has to be a receiver. He has to do everything in that backfield to protect the quarterback. And he's the one that has to know that, hell, if he's on one side and you guys see it, man, according, he's got to read the whole defense. He may have to come all the way across the for, a formation to pick up the guy on the other side, blitzing that they don't have the protection going to. So that guy's going to be the smartest guy other than the quarterback when he lines up in the backfield. And then when you're out in the field, when you're out in the field, you're going to have the other back in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, but you know what? It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it, I, things go in circles all the time. All yeah. right. Now, now the tight end is the main thing. Okay. Well, you tell me one person that can cover a tight end in a league Man to man, there's nobody. I don't care who they put out there. A safety, okay? There's no safety to cover any of the three of these tight ends right now. 
You know, you, you take from San Francisco, you take Kansas City, even the kid Waller from the Raiders. Those guys yeah. are anybody man to man. Okay, so now what do you do? So now they're the, the focus. All right. So now that takes away from running back. So now that gets devalued. All right. So now you bring the slot receivers in. Now the running back gets devalued because now he's not the guy coming out of the backfield. But like when I played, you had guys like, like Clem Daniels, Charlie Smith, uh, you know, Mark Van Egan, Mark Van Egan, uh, Charlie that played with us. And when I was coaching, Oh Jesus, that came from the Eagles with Matt, with John, Oh uh, God, I can't remember Charlie's last name. I just had it. I just think about. Oh, it. I did too. Uh, not Whittingham. It was no. Uh, no, played played with. with yeah, he, he was with us when I was coaching. Right. Oh Jesus, you know. But he was a stud coming out of the backfield. Right. You know. I mean, it's well, we can thing. almost blame college a little bit because they've gone to these three and four wideouts. Oh yeah. You know, and that and that's come. I mean, you got quarterbacks coming in the NFL that's never taken a snap from under the center. Because they've yeah. been shotgun their whole career. All right, now the Raiders for the first time and forever, it seems like, or will not be an open. Charlie Garner. Right. Yeah. Charlie Garner. Charlie Garner. Yeah. Have you been, Charlie? Uh, there you go. Um, Charlie Garner. Have you been to the new stadium in Vegas? No. And the new well, I've seen it oh, from yeah. the outside. Okay. But What's your feelings about them being in Vegas? I love it. I think Mark's looking good, I think. Oh yeah, you know, you know something. You know what? When when you have a team, I don't care where you're at, that has made such an impact over decades in your city. You never let them go. You do whatever they want. Okay, whatever they want. You do whatever they want. Okay. Well, the idiots think they're going to replace them. You never replace them. All right, no. every time people listen, they're be, they're be, better off dynamiting both those things uh, on Hagenberger Road to make sure that nobody remembers the Raiders. All right, because every like I was down in the Bay Area, you drive by, that's the first thing you think about. So going to Las Vegas, I think, was terrific. You know, it was uh, it, the, the everybody in the administration, everybody with the players, the coaches. Everybody involved in a, in a Raider organization is it, totally excited. Fans are excited, and I think as long as things keep going, going, you get the influx of people coming from out of town in Las Vegas, not only the base that comes from the Bay Area, L.A., wherever they come from, is going to love it. I mean, it's a first-class place, and, you know, even though you come from a, an older place, there's so much history, and you're leaving home, going somewhere else. All right, but now with, with the with the Las Vegas, I think it's the best thing. I love it. I think it's great. You know, I think it, I think it's terrific. And then you know, bottom line is you got to win. <laughs> well, it's the first stadium I think that they've ever had that they owned. They shared yeah. the other one with the A's for years down the Coliseum. USC played there because you coached down there. At, I yeah. mean, you coached in L.A. and played in and. Uh, Oakland. So I just think it's great for the organization. Oh, I do. Well, let's talk about the team. John Gruden, uh, year three or four, I can't remember, but seems like he's getting the people he wants in there and hopefully get this thing turned around. I mean, it all starts with that quarterback, Derek Carr. So yeah. what's your feelings about the upcoming season? Well, I, I love the season because now, you know what, they have 
they have all the pieces in place that they want. Right. Offense, you have pretty much all your offense set. You've got people you brought in there, drafted. And if you compare them, uh, every player by player with, say you go to the, to, the, to the major teams, or you go to Kansas City, okay? You go to, uh, to the Dolphins, okay? Uh, well, not the Dolphins, but New England, okay? Uh, Baltimore. You can go and compare your players on offense to those players on offense to those teams. Now, defense, you can take that defensive line and compare it with anybody, with the, with yeah. like the three or four guys they have in there now. Okay, right. linebackers, question. Secondaries, question. All right? So now that's, that, that, is, that has been the problem, and that's the thing they need to get straightened out quickly. You know, and if you want to talk about some a team getting hurt by not having the preseason games and not having a regular season, obviously, yeah, sure. say it's it's the Raiders' defense. But you know what? If you can count on that defensive line to do what they're doing and get the linebackers up to speed, okay, and fit in with that defensive line, then you got something. Then you got something going for yourself. Okay, now you can sort of cover up the secondary a little bit with that, with that front group, but that front group has to play outstanding. So nobody gets exposed in the secondary. Have you seen the top draft choice, Henry Ruggs at all? Well, just on film. Okay. Know, just on film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy can run, you know, it's, it's, you know what there, you see to me right now, I don't know. Well, you, you know, when you're coming out of college, like when I came to college, it was a transition. I mean, you, you had to be, you, you, there weren't too many people that just came right in and started at skilled positions. Very few. Yeah, okay. yeah you had to wait now, your turn. Yeah, now it's almost like professional teams and college teams have basically a lot of the same formations, a lot of the same offense, all that. So to me, the transition isn't that tough. It's just that. Yeah you've got to be able to play against the personnel. Right. Okay, because you're going to go line up, you say, oh, hell, I lined up here in college for four years. All right? But now it's the personnel that you're playing against. Now are you better than that personnel? That's what it comes down to. Okay, now, Fred, let me ask you this, because you know, Mike had pointed out the fact that, you know, in the beginning of the show about, you know, your story career with the Oakland Raiders. And, you know, I played football myself, and, you know, I was – I was basically a linebacker. But the one thing about when I played, there was always that one guy or that one opponent that I knew year after year, okay, this guy is just going to be, you know, he's going to be a needle underneath my fingernail. I just know this because of what he does, okay? For me, it was a guy by the name of Michael Bishop, okay? Um, you know, he was a receiver at the time, and he got away with some stuff a couple of years in a row. But by the third season, he started getting tagged. Because in other words, the referees, they see what's going on year after year, and they sure. go, know, okay, look, you know what this guy's known for, you know. And then after a while, the third season, he started getting tagged for some of the stuff he was doing. Was there ever a player that you, when you lined up, you know, to go out for the pass, if you looked across the, the field and said, okay, look, look who it is. Was there ever that, that one player that just got underneath your skin? You just knew from the moment they snapped the ball, it's like, okay, this is going to be a headache to deal with. You know, you know what? With me, and he wasn't in the in the AFC. It was Herb Adderley. Who? Herb, Herb Adderley. 
Cornerback for the Packers. From, uh, Herb Adderley. The Packers, yeah. Now, when he was at Green Bay, tough time. Intercepted a touchdown on me in the Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl I played with 66 yards for a touchdown interception. When he was with, when he was with uh, Dallas and we played against Dallas, it was just – he was the one. Wow. He, he, yeah, he was the one, you know, because, you know, there it, it's just – there's just one guy, like you said. There's always one guy. Yeah, it's one guy, right? Yeah, it's it's like I always felt like when I was playing, uh, like when I went to different stadiums to play. Okay, I never did well in them, no matter what. I don't know what it was. I mean, I never did well in Pittsburgh. Okay, never did oh. well did well in Cincinnati. Okay, but I felt comfortable. Well, obviously in Oakland, but I felt comfortable in, in San Diego, comfortable in Denver, comfortable in Kansas City. All right. And, but there were three or three or four places I did not feel comfortable in just the stadium, not, not much less the players, you know? And that's, well, it's got sight lines in the stadium sometimes too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just something about it that I don't, I don't know what it is. It's weird. I mean, yeah. it's weird, you know. I mean, you're going, you're going out there. You're almost like it's like I always believe when you go out there hoping. Hey, you might as well just stay in the locker room. Yeah, hope <laughs> yeah. doesn't work on the gridiron. No, right. It's funny because with Herb, with Herb in a couple stadiums I mentioned, yeah, that's and that's just part of your career. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all the stadiums you played well in were grass fields, you know, because there wasn't a whole lot yeah. of turf back then. Yeah. And because I remember lining up against the Raiders my first uh, preseason, and that whole secondary, Jack Tatum, yeah. George Atkinson, uh, <laughs> Lester Hayes, and Mike Haynes. Well, you didn't Mike get Haynes grass off. That's the whole I know. thing. <laughs> I know. And all they did, and Skip Thomas, and all they did was yeah. funnel you in to the Sages and let them knock your head off. Oh yeah, so, but but and Lester, thanks to you, Freddie, was wearing that damn stick them all over him. So he'd tackle you, and you'd be like stuck to him. He had it everywhere. Freddie just had it on his. Uh, I, I saw Freddie catch a ball on his forearm one time. It just stuck to the forearm. Oh yeah, and, what the hell? What's wrong with that? Hey, nothing. I cheated. Nothing. Hey, I cheated. But, I'm happy about it. <laughs> but Lester, he'd tackle you, and you'd have it all over you. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> and you had to use paint thinner to get it off after the game. I never used it. I, I just didn't like it. So. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they outlawed it in 1981, I think it was. So, uh, but another thing Freddie's famous for. But anyway, <laughs> the, but there always was that one guy. Mel Blunt was that guy for me. Yeah. He was like 6'4", 220, and he was a corner. Yeah. And I started on Monday night, my first start in 78, and he comes up and bump and run. He's got this horrible breath, this deep voice. He goes, where are Long you going, arms. Now, Yeah, he goes, where are you going, son? And I said, anywhere you want, Mr. Blunt. Because we were in three-point stances back then. So as I said, yeah, that ball was snapped, and I got off the line. I said, well, hell, if I just talk to these guys and distract them, you know, I could kind of play. So Freddie and I were both – Freddie, I think, set the tone for trash talking on a field during a game. Hey, I mean, you only get, if a hey D- listen, 
Listen, when you're white and you're slow, you only have a few chances to talk. That's it. That's it. And if a guy was intimidated by Freddie to start the game, by the end he was just a shell of his former self. Well, you know what? Well, the other see the other thing too is is like when I came into the league, you know, like probably I would say my entire career with the with the Raiders, I did nothing but play on the right side of the formation. Really. Yeah. Okay. A so flanker we, we, or split end? Well, I could be a split end. I, I could be a flanker. I could be a split end, whatever. But I always oh. wind up on the right-hand side. Oh. Okay. Always. Okay. So that's where you really had somewhat of an advantage, okay, because of the fact that you could go and get you so used to playing on that one side and understanding defenses from that one side and so that was a big advantage. And, and Al didn't like flip-flopping. We'd flip-flopped in a couple formations. But uh, other, other than that, you know, we always – like, like for example, Cliff always played on the left. I always played on the right. That's why. Yeah, so you never were – he never brought you over in the slot? No, I never, I never played in the slot. When I used to go over, say, uh, say if we had the slot formation to the left, Cliff was always in the slot. I was always the outside guy. If we had the slot formation to the right, I was always outside. Cliff was always inside. Because Al always liked that speed to get through the middle or run across the field or run deep. Right. Right. I, yeah. I think about the guy who I was telling you who was my nemesis. Was, his name was Michael Bishop, and he was a receiver. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he went to one of the colleges that was in our division, but then the following year he switched. So it was like on one end, I knew I was going to have to see him. But when he switched to Diablo Valley, it's like all of a sudden we saw him more. And the one thing he would do that would get on my last nerve is that whenever he would come up to use a route, okay, he would bump, he would turn on me, and then he would grab me by the back of my collar. Wow, <laughs> made, I, was like, I was like, dude, you know what? I, look, finally it got to a point. I, I was so ticked off. By the third quarter, I was like, okay, you know what? And I looked at the Coco's going, Rich, don't do I'm like, look, you know what? If he comes off this turn and grab, I'm going to light him up. And sure enough, when we come off this turn, he grabs the collar, man, and sure, I went right underneath him. See, the thing about Michael, he had these moves and everything was great, but he was light. He didn't have no weight behind him. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so it's like when I hit him, it was like he would just go up, you know, and, and yeah. that was it, you know? And then, then when I hit him, it was like everybody, everybody went, oh, you know. And then all of a sudden, before you know, they – I got a flag. I'm like, oh, man, come on, man. This guy's grabbing my collar. I ain't even calling it. But by the third season, he used to get caught by it. So yeah. I, I kind of understand what you're saying. But but the thing that that I have said about the Raiders and about, Fred, everything that you guys did back in that time, because Mike just got done from talking about a backfield, and I thought, wow, some of those names, you're going, man, that backfield was a – come on, really? You're going to send Mike into that? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you call the square in in the huddle against the Raiders, yeah, you, know, you hoped you came back to the huddle on the next play. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, you know what? Uh, see, but see, you know what? What Al, uh, you know, or what I, I'm just thinking about some things tonight before I got on with you guys is that you know the one thing, and I don't know if teams do this, okay? Well, when I was playing with the Raiders, all the years. Al Davis, when we did the one-on-ones, the defensive back, we have our one-on-one right. period, all that stuff like that, he made every safety 
go out there and be involved in the one-on-ones. So they took just as many one-on-ones as the corners did. So they got used to covering people. Right. And that, and that was the big thing that helped everything, like, like George and like Tate. Uh, no matter who played for us at safety, they all had to go out there and play as a corner in one-on-ones. That's, that's a great idea. All right. Uh, a lot of people don't know, we mentioned earlier, Tom Flores uh, threw you your first touchdown. <laughs> people don't realize he was a quarterback with the Chiefs and won a Super Bowl. Right. And then uh, in 78, he was the head coach, and he released you. <laughs> and uh, I know you guys are still uh, your friends. But you're a 14-year player. I think you coached for maybe 16 to 18 years with them. 18, yeah. yeah. And so nobody's more connected to the Raiders and Al Davis than Fred Belitnikoff. What was – I mean, synopsized for people who didn't know Al and – because I'd go to camp and Al would go, hey, Mike, come on over. And he'd sit there and talk to me for like an hour. And I said, Coach, I got to go. And he goes, I'm not through talking to you. <laughs> you know, Al Davis says that to you. You go, okay. You know, so, so, you know, summarize what he was like. He was, uh, you know, ahead of his time in a lot of ways. He went to the black colleges, you know, first black head coach, first Latino head coach. I mean, he just was a trendsetter in every phase of the game. Well, the one, one thing – Al wanted to have on his team were guys that wanted to win. Okay. The guy, well, let me put it this way. Guys that wanted to come and work to win. All right. That went out there with such a passion to win that it was uh, unparalleled by with, with, with anybody else. He had a group of guys that wanted to win more than anybody else. Okay. But Al loved everybody, loved his players. Yeah. Yeah. He was hard on all of us. Yeah. Okay. He demanded so much from us. Uh, he, he demanded that you go out there and you play and you have, you have to go out there and perform. You know, you have to go out there to play to win. And how you win is by your work ethic. So there were very few people, very few guys in my number of years there with the Raiders playing that didn't have a great work ethic. Okay, and some of the guys that were sort of on the borderline, they got used to the work ethic because that's that's how his that's how Al had his practices working the entire time. All right, now if you did your job and your work ethic and everything, you had no problem with Al. As soon as you got to the point where uh, he and listen to one thing about Al, Al knew Al knew players. He knew his their personalities, how they were personality-wise, working, all that stuff, how they felt about football. That If you weren't on board with him from that standpoint, uh, you may last a couple of years, but you ain't going to last a whole long, you know. And then the years I was coaching, it was the same thing. You did your job as a coach. You were well-prepared. You handled your players. Uh, you didn't treat your players like stars. You know, you treated them like guys that were supposed to be out there working, every single day and he wanted to make sure that everybody that was coaching their group you i don't want to say have control of the group but the group understood you and you got along with the group and they had respect for you all right and as coach we get back to the coaching side of it you went to meetings when we had when we'd have meetings you know you better be prepared and have everything no matter what it was if you walked in that meeting as a coach and you weren't prepared, 
I'll tell you what, you weren't going to be there coaching very long. All right. Actually, you, you told me that story that he'd let you go all year, and at the end of the year, he'd call you in and just call you out on every mistake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, you – I mean, he, he, he always wanted you to care about your players, be very honest with them, be tough on them, and, and, and go out there and make them play. You know, and that was your job. That 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 was your job, and to make sure that. And the number one thing was this: is that he wanted you to make sure you knew how to keep your players healthy. Ah. So that was that was going through when you got on that field or prior to going on a field in practice or whatever. They were getting warmed up good, everything else like that, and you had them prepared, so you had a good. Uh, a, a good rapport with them when they came out of the field. You had something set up for them to get warmed up, work, work them into it slowly. If it's running across the field like we did when I was had you coaching, run across the field a couple times, you know, weaving in and out and get used to the field and running the routes. And he liked the preparation that you did for your players. And if you didn't warm up your players good and take care of your players, you had a <laughs> Big problem. <laughs> yeah. All right, two quick stories. Freddie and I worked together with the Invaders. He was the coach. Charlie Sumner, former Raider, great defensive coordinator, the head coach. So we're in practice one day. And remember Anthony Carter, one of the greatest <laughs> receivers ever. He couldn't run a route to save his life. At Michigan, they just threw him a quick screen and let him run. So Fred and I are looking at each other going, what the? You know, got in the game. Some ball's up in the air, 20 yards from anywhere, and Anthony comes out of nowhere and catches it. Remember, we both looked at each other. He's a fucking gamer, you know. So and then, '83, uh, I'm in St. Louis. We're playing the Raiders at the Coliseum. They had already clinched the division. They went on to win their third Super Bowl. So I'm talking to Al before the game, and typically he comes up to me. He goes, "So, what do you think of our team?" <laughs> well, first of all, Al, I'm about to play against them, but I think you should win it all this year. And I said, "Listen, I'm uh, my contract's up. I want to get back to the West Coast." Bobby Chandler, who came after you did, he was Freddie Belitnikoff, the sequel, is going to retire, and you need a white guy to move the chains. So he goes, okay, we'll talk in the offseason. Didn't work it out. Uh, It was out a year, and then got hooked up with the Invaders. I see Al 20 years later in Oxnard in training camp. Mike, come on. Hey, you're doing a great job on TV, and you were right. I go, what? He goes, I didn't get a white guy to move the chains, and we haven't been back to the Super Bowl since. <laughs> Steel trap of a mind. Oh, like, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Hey, you know, I, I tell you, the great thing about him, he knew every player. He knows what, what – when, when you're done with your career, he knows what people are doing yes. after their career, and he knows if they're doing a good job or not because he listened. Let me tell you something. I, I was around that guy half my life, all right? Yeah. He knows everything. I mean, there's nothing There's nothing he doesn't know. And the great thing about it, he loves knowing people. Yeah. yeah. That's the one thing. He loves knowing people. Yeah. He was like your dad. Oh, true. Right? For yeah. 50 yeah. years almost. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah it's, uh, sometimes right. worse than my dad. <laughs> yeah. All right. A lot of people don't realize Fred was a four-sports star in high school. Football, baseball, basketball, and track. And what was your high jump? I saw your high jump. What would you high jump back then? Six three, the highest. Yeah, uh, I was I was six four. So uh, anyway, of course you were six four. 
I got to get something. No, on I was six four and a half. Okay, yeah, mine might have been three quarters. So. Okay, <laughs> guys. First of all, Fred, it was been just an absolute treasure having you on with us today. Oh, thanks. Um, and and we got to do this again because I just love, I love every to. bit of this. I love every bit of it. But we got to go because our time has run off. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I understand that. Rich, thanks so much. Mike, thanks so much. Hey, good to okay, see you again. Have, have me back again before I get to the senior citizen home. Okay. Yeah, I know you're hitting from the super senior tees now. So, uh, yeah, we'll catch, we'll catch up. Exactly. You're going, you're going down to the women's tees next year at my golf tournament. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and by the way, you invited me to that golf tournament, so I'm going to take you up on your invitation. Well, you better come then. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're invited. Okay. Yeah. Anything else Absolutely. you want to plug? Anything you got coming up you want to plug or no? No, you know what? We we have, you know, something we we're going to do. We we're going to do the crafty down in Las Vegas, but Angela talked to the people down there where we were supposed to have it at the casino, and they put all the restrictions, so we're not going to have it this year. So we just got to wait till next year. Okay. We well, Freddie, of course, as the Belinda Call Foundation, Tracy's Place of Hope, where mm -hmm. he takes care of uh, teenage girls. So he's done a lot to give back to the community and just. He's a Hall of Famer. That's why he's a Hall of Famer on and off the field. Go, yeah. go on Belletnikoff.org. That's it. Okay. Wait a minute. Say it one more time, Fred. Belet just go Belletnikoff.org. Okay. All right. Yeah. And there you have it, folks. You guys want to go there and donate, please do. Fred's yeah. been doing this for a long time. Him and his wife have been doing a fantastic job. And again, Fred, having you on today has just been a treasure. I have enjoyed okay. it. Really I enjoyed it, too. Yep. Yeah. All right. You okay. guys take care. Okay, so this right, is Game Face on the Bleed Talent Network. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be on next week, and you're welcome to tune in. However, if you do, you better have your Game Face on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.